encourage you to turn to Romans 2. As we look at the first 11 verses today under the title, No Excuse. Let me just quickly recap on what we've been thinking about in chapter 1 of Romans. It probably reaches its highlight in verse 16 with that great statement of Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And the gospel was something that Paul was thrilled about. It was something he was excited about. And it was something that changed his life and he wanted to change the lives of others. But one reason why he was so thrilled about the gospel was because what he would speak of next in chapter one, which is the wrath of God, which comes against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he speaks about how people have suppressed, pushed down the truth, which is clear about the creator. And people have instead have worshipped the things of this world instead of the true God. And God in his judgment upon them has handed them over to immorality. And particularly he highlights the unnatural relationships of men with men and women with women. And then at the end of that chapter he comes to a summary of the debased mind in verses 29 to 31. And there you'll see in that table the sins that he highlights. Let me read those verses. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's not a nice description at all. Now, sometimes in Romans chapter 1, people have seen Paul is speaking about the pagan Greek world around him. And then chapter 2, which we're beginning this morning, is about the Jewish people. But I don't think it's as simple as that. In many ways, I think chapter 1 is about the very immoral society that was around them. But chapter 2 is about moral people who could be Jews but also there were some very moral Greeks as well in Paul's day. The philosopher Seneca and the Stoics were philosophers who taught the importance of people living upright and moral lives. So there were people who did live very moral lives. So chapter 1 is very much for people engaged in immorality. Chapter 2 is about people who see themselves as moral. Now, as we look at this section here today, there are three points I want us to consider. First of all, we see the guilt in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. And Paul says this to these moral people. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. I think Paul could easily have said that the old saying, don't point a finger because when you are, do this hand, when you're pointing a finger at one person, there are three fingers that are pointing back. In many ways, this is a parallel to what we have been looking at in our small groups in our midweek on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus used that very graphic illustration of a person who's got a great log stuck in their eye pointing at the little speck of wood 
in someone's else's eye, someone else's eye. And so the problem is people to realize, failing to realize their own guilt of sin, which is outlined. And if we go back to the, the table which he's mentioned, Paul is saying, this is what you're guilty of. What he is saying here about you are guilty of the same sins, he's talking about this list at the end of chapter one that he just has been speaking about. And Paul declares that those who exercise judgment, those who are moral, those who are upright, who would quickly point at the world around them and condemn the world around them, he said, listen, you are guilty of these sins as well. That's what he's talking about. Now, as the people who listen to Paul, and as we today listen to Paul, and he's saying the same thing to us, we have a dilemma here. Either we accept what Paul is saying, that we are sinners, that this is true of us, that we are guilty of these sins, or we're calling Paul a liar. We're saying he's mistaken, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Someone who is an apostle of Christ, who is speaking with the very authority of Christ. And so, if we believe the Bible, if we believe the Word of God, we have to accept that what Paul is saying, we are guilty of these sins. This doesn't mean that every sin is equally prevalent in our lives, and some of us struggle with some sins more than others, but we need to accept this overall verdict that who we are by nature, who we are in our lives, it's not a pretty picture. We are what is described here. We are those who are unrighteous, evil. We covet, we have malice, we have envy, we have murder in our hearts. We have strife and deceit and maliciousness and so forth in our lives. And the purpose of all this goes back to what Paul says in verse 28, to be convinced of this, that we are a people with a debased mind. What Paul wants us to see is to understand who we are by nature, who we are inside. The basic argument of the world is that we are basically good people. The truth of God's word is that that is not the case. We are a fallen, sinful people. We are a people who are insolent, haughty, boastful, and the list goes on here. And you know, this is tough medicine. These early chapters of Romans and Thank you for persevering with them and for the next few weeks it's going to continue to be tough medicine. But take the medicine because it's only when we embrace this medicine which is challenging, which is direct, which is not flattering of us. When we embrace this medicine, it's then we'll get onto the glorious heights of the gospel which Paul later brings out in the, the next part of the book of Romans. And what he says in verse 2, he says, it's so important. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. We're a people who are guilty. We're a people who, by nature, are under God's judgment. God's wrath hangs over us because of our sin. That's who we are by nature. But that's not the end of the story, thankfully. So we move from guilt, we move to our second point, which is repentance in verses 3 to 5. And there in verse 3, Paul says, Do you suppose a man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? He says, no point you saying those people outside in the world are worse than you, 
God's judgment will come upon you as well. God's judgment comes upon sins. Paul is wanting his hearers to accept this, to, to embrace the reality of where they are because of the sin that's within them. Look what he says then in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul is saying, listen, there's two possible responses to this message about our sin. There is a response of presumption. God has been patient. God has been kind to us. And so there's a presumption, I will never come under God's judgment. I will never face his wrath. That's one way people can respond to this teaching. Or the second response to God's kindness, even when we're sinful, is to come to repentance. This verse amazingly makes me think of that famous verse in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, you see on the screen there, where Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. He's talking about the promises that Jesus will come again and judge the world and the world will end and the new world will come. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish but it all should reach repentance. Peter is the same message as Paul, the same message they get from Christ, that God is kind to you, God is gracious to you. You should cause that to lead you to repentance. But the danger is that God being merciful to people, God being merciful to those who are undeserving, it makes them think that everything is rosy and they never will face the judgment at all. When life is easy, when life is good, they lose a sense that God's judgment is hanging over them. One of the unusual things about this war in Ukraine is some of the, the footage that's available on YouTube. And there's some very harrowing footage. And there's one incident that I saw where there's a, a Russian soldier hiding behind a hedge. He was what he thought in a secure position. But directly over his head was a Ukrainian drone, the camera looking down on him. And from this drone, a little explosive charge was dropped right at him. Horrendous, horrendous. There he was thinking he was in a safe position, thinking that indeed he couldn't be attacked, that he was all right. When just hanging over his head was his judgment and the means of his death. God's kindness, God's goodness to us is not to make us complacent. The reason why God has not judged us and condemned us for our sin already is because God wants us to come to repentance. God wants us to turn from our sin and embrace Christ. And this repentance, it must be both general, a general repentance where we say we're turning from sin to follow Jesus as our Lord, but it also has to be very pacific repentance over particular sins. Let's go back to our list. Here in this table, these are sins we have to repent from. 
It's not enough to say, okay, I'm turning from my sin, I'm going to follow Jesus. We have to be specific. And when God puts his finger on sins in our lives, we have to be willing to face up them. Think of, do we covet? Are you not content with what you have, but are always wanting what others have? Is there malice in your life, a spitefulness? Is there an envy of others? You're progressing. Is there deceit in your life where you're not always upfront and truthful? Is there gossip? Is there slander in your life where you're damaging people's reputation? Are you haughty? Are you boastful? Are you too full of yourself? Are you disobedient to your parents? Are you heartless, ruthless? You see, if we want to belong to Christ, if we want to escape God's wrath, we need to repent, not just generally, but we need to repent of sins individually as well. And repentance is having a change of heart towards sins. It's seeing these sins no longer as trivial and acceptable in our lives, but something that we need to turn from and a determination to turn away from these sins. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but we need to do it seriously. Salvation requires both faith and repentance. Jesus said to those who were following him, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish, speaking of people who suffered in different tragedies. Or after Peter, when he spoke to Cornelius and his family, and they came to faith, when others heard about it, this is what they said, it has been granted unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. A part of salvation is repentance. And we need to understand this is serious. Look what Paul says there in verse 5. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, a heart that won't repent, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now this is very, very serious. We cannot be unrepentant in regards to sins. We cannot hold on to our sins and expect that we're saved. Do you remember what Jesus says when we'll be looking at this in our small groups from midweek shortly? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart, I never knew you. That is scary. You can be religious, you can be moral, but still have an unrepentant heart towards sin. So we see here guilt. We see here repentance, which is needed. And then thirdly, we see judgment in verses 6 to 11. Here in verse 6, Paul goes on in his argument. He will render to each one according to his works. Now, we've always been taught as Presbyterians that salvation is through faith. Trusting in Jesus, it's not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith and not by works. But what we see here is that Paul is teaching judgment is based on works. The day of judgment will be a judgment on the works that are real in people's lives. And there are two paths that people can travel as outlined here in verses 7 to 8. Look at verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
And then in verse 8, he speaks of those who are different, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So Paul is exactly like Jesus saying there's two paths. There's a broad road to destruction. There's a narrow road to eternal life. Now let's delve a bit quicker because we need to be clear about this. What about the path to eternal life? What does he say in verse 7? It are those who are patience, have patience in well-doing. It's those who persist in doing what is good according to the teaching of the Lord. Those who persevere. John Stott says it's those who seek for glory are those who desire a manifestation of God himself. It's people who want to know God more. This is the mark of those who are saved. They want to know God. They seek honor, he says in this verse. They seek God's approval. They seek to please the Lord. And they seek immortality. They desire the unfading joy of God's presence. So those who are destined for eternal life, the righteous people, are those who are God-centered in their thinking, God-centered in their living. Their life is about Jesus. Their life is about pleasing him. Their life is about knowing him. Their life is about serving him. But those in verse 8 are described as being very different who are on their road to judgment and wrath. Those who are self-seeking. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said this word describes those who seek political office by unfair means. So those who just want to get on in life and they maybe don't care how to do it. John Stott says, to sum this up, those who persevere in goodness will receive eternal life, while those who are self-seeking and follow evil will experience God's wrath. And Paul is saying, listen, there are those who follow the Lord, who have embraced the Lord, who have eternal life. There are those who are still caught up in themselves who will face God's wrath. And Paul is emphasizing this because it's important we know which path we're on. And look what he says in verse 9. He repeats himself basically. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So he's saying the day of judgment will reveal those who have done good, who have sought to please the Lord who will go to eternal life, I'll reveal those who have done their own thing, who have lived sinfully, and will face God's wrath. Now, let's take a step back here and consider how can we fit these two truths, that salvation is through faith alone, and that judgment is by people's works. How do you fit these things together? Well, the day of judgment is not about God deciding on that day as he weighs people up as to who will go to heaven and to hell. That is not decided on the day of judgment. Who goes to heaven and who goes to hell is decided in this world where people stand with Christ in their lives. Those who have genuine saving faith will go to heaven and those who do not have genuine saving faith will go to hell. The Bible is very clear in that. 
So what is crucial is where you stand with Jesus. And that is decided, not on the day of judgment, that is decided in this life, in what you do with Jesus in this life. And the Lord knows those who are his and those who are not his. So it's already decided in this world. People are either saved or condemned long before the day of judgment. The purpose of the day of judgment is not about deciding people's eternal destiny because that's already decided about where they are with Jesus. The purpose of the day of judgment is vindicating the justice of God in what he has decided. And basically, judging people by their works on the day of judgment is basically exposing those who are genuine in a faith in Christ and those who are not. The day of judgment proves the reality or not of the presence of saving faith in people's lives. It's like what James says, faith without works is dead. And the day of judgment exposes those who have true faith and those who do not. And let's go back to that list again. You might not like the sight of that list again, but we need to look at it. Those who are true Christians are not people who are perfect, are not people who are faultless, but are people who genuinely seek to turn away from their sin, who have come to trust in Jesus as their only hope of salvation, who have embraced him as their saviour, and part of following him as Lord, they seriously seek to turn away from sin day by day. They don't do this perfectly, none of us do. But they do seek to do it seriously. And it's very easy to point the finger when we think of what Paul says earlier in Romans 1 about those who are engaged with in unnatural relationships of men with men and women with women to point out those sins and think, I'm not like that. I'm not like those immoral people. I'm pretty good. He says, what about these sins? Have you a heart where you've genuinely turned away from these sins? Those who have not been saved They may be religious, they may be moral, but they have not genuinely repented and handed their lives over to Christ, allowing him to be Lord of their lives. And there's a big challenge for us today, and the question is, where do you stand today? Are you a person who's going to continue to live your own way, do your own thing? Or are you a person who realizes there's a loving, gracious Savior who's died to save you? And you're going to embrace what he's done on the cross for your salvation. But you're also going to say to him, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my King. I love the way Christianity explained, highlights this. And when someone comes to faith, it's like the the plan of a house. And some rooms in the house are more messed up than others. And bit by bit, Jesus searched out every room of our lives. 
and we don't say no Jesus that door's locked Sheriff and I when we got married we lived in a house in Ballyclare that belonged to a couple and a family who had gone to Canada for a year and uh, we were allowed in every part of the house except one room where the door was locked uh, that's where their stuff was and we had no access to that room you can't do that with Jesus you can't say to Jesus I'm not going to let you be in control of my ambitions I'm not going to let you be in control of my relationships I'm not going to let you be in control of my tongue I'm not going to let you be in control of my attitude you can only be a Christian when you realise this Jesus who has died and so just love and dying to save a sinner like you that this Jesus you can trust with every part of your life allow him into every area to deal with that sin and remember what we were sharing with the kids which we'll get on to eventually in Romans when you come to trust in this Jesus who has come to live in your life the Holy Spirit and it's in his power it's in his grace you're enabled to say yes Jesus I'm going to resist this sin I'm going to live like you it's not easy indeed in many ways it's impossible but when you come to trust in Jesus you've come to know the God of the impossible let's pray together Father your word has always got a challenge for us and Father this part of Romans is very challenging and there's no room for a sense that we can have Jesus as our Savior, but not as our Lord. Father, forgive us for times where we have thought that. Forgive us for times when we are not willing to let Jesus be in control of every area of our lives. Father, give us hearts of faith. Give us hearts that are truly repentant. And through that, Father, know that we're those who are destined for eternal glory because of the grace at work within us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And Father, for any who are struggling to repent of sin generally or to repent of specific sin in their lives, which have maybe been highlighted today, Lord, give them that grace to be repentant and embrace the Lordship of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.